The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We are very excited about this morning because today marks the beginning of one of our most anticipated seasons in our church. Today we welcome the Advent season. Uh, Starting today and continuing for the entire month of December, we would like to focus on the greatest event that has ever happened in the human history. And that event is that the Savior of the world came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And the emphasis will make us remember with gratitude that God has come near us through his son, Jesus. But this event of the first coming of Christ or what we call Advent, will also remind, remind us about the other most anticipated event in the history of mankind. That is, the return of our King. Is that church, Jesus is coming again. Amen. So church, during this Advent season, I will encourage you, To all of you, to glorify God for his son. To meditate on how through Christ, God has fulfilled his promise of redemption for all of us. And also to meditate on the hope and the expectation that Jesus will return again. That we call, that we can live hoping that if God has fulfilled his promises and his covenants in the past, he will fulfill his promises for the future. Another reason we're excited today is because today is, uh, we will begin our journey through a new book of the Bible. And actually, it's the only Serious that I have been in this church that we have even a special gift for that. Uh, I believe with all my heart that there's no better way to begin this Advent season other than looking together at the Christmas story through the lens of the book of Matthew and its amazing account of the birth of our Savior. How incredible is that before any book of the New Testament was written, 400 years passed since the last of the prophets of the Old Testament mentioned a word from God. We call it the 400 years of silence. 400 years of gap, of a gap between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years of no revelation from God. But suddenly, the silence was broken 
And after 400 years of no revelation, the gospel of Matthew revealed to the world the biggest story ever. The story of salvation that is in Christ Jesus, the proclamation of the kingdom of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? So let's pray, and then we will go deep into our text. Gracious and merciful God, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to worship alongside my brothers and sisters this morning, and for the privilege of sharing with them the truth of your word. As we approach this Advent season, we sincerely thank you for sending your only begotten Son for our redemption. Actually, that's why we celebrate Advent. That's why the Christmas season is so special. Because we have received the greatest and most important gift we have ever received. Thank you for the gift of your salvation through Christ. Now I pray that you open our hearts and our minds and allow us to receive your word with joy and with humbleness. This is your word. This is your inspiration. This is your breath. Not my words, but yours. My desire this morning, Lord, with this sermon is that everything I'm going to say be completely and fully submitted to your word. In Jesus' name, your church pray. Amen. This morning, we will find our text in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. This passage of Scripture is a very well-known as the Jesus genealogy, and I practice that word a lot of times. <laughs> Perhaps you have heard a sermon of the genealogy of Jesus before. To be honest with you, for me, this is, will be the first time I'm going to listen to a message about the genealogy of Jesus. If you go to your Matthew booklet, everybody has it? And you open it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. You can see that this first 17 verses show an extensive list of people whose names are very difficult to even pronounce. In English, and as in Spanish as well. <laughs> a bit difficult text to read because traces Jesus' ancestors back for more than 40 generations. Many consider this text a tedious one that will make you, or when you're reading, press your fast forward button <laughs> or turn the page and ignore it. Or scroll down to the next passage and also ignore it. But we do not want to ignore such piece of scripture due to the, its importance in our Christian faith. Here's what a commentator says about the first chapter 
and first verses of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. Most people simply skip over the genealogies of the Bible. After all, lists of obscure, long-dead people aren't very interesting, are they? But as you will see, Matthew has a def definitive purpose in starting his gospel with Jesus' genealogy. And there is, uh, there is far more to this genealogy than, this is, uh, that, than is apparent at first glance. Our plan for us this morning is to stand up and read verses 1 to 17 all together. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We'll be crazy. Actually, the plan is to read the passage. Uh, the, the, I was planning to read the passage, the passage for you today. But after reading the verses aloud in Spanish and not being able to pronounce many of those names in Spanish... I just decided to do some alternative things. Uh, just for your information, Spanish is my first language. So, but since we are not going to read the verses, my plan is to explain the structure of this verse. And I want to start with the structure. The structure that I'm talking about has two different parts. The first part of this structure is in verse 1, where the writer of the gospel, give us an introduction to who Jesus is. So now the second part of the structure for this passage is in verse 2 to 17, where the evangelist shows an extensive list of Jesus' ancestors. So let's start with the first part of the structure in the verse 1. We call this structure an introduction to Jesus, okay? And this is how Matthew introduced his entire book. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here, Matthew begins by introducing his book, or the gospel with a simple sentence. Now, although this is a simple sentence, there is a bunch of information in this one only sentence. We have identified the introduction of the main character of the book, followed by what we are going to call designations. And we are going to call it through the whole sermon. And we have identified Three different designations in this sentence. So we start with identifying who is the main character of the book. So Matthew introduced Jesus as the main figure of the book. Then he goes to the first designation. Here the writer affirms that Jesus is Christ. Then there is a second designation. Matthew affirms that Jesus is the son of David. And lastly, he mentions his third designation. The author affirms that Jesus is the son of Abraham. And all those things are super, super important to know. So let's stop 
it right here because before we go further on discussing these designations, I want to discuss with you uh, an elephant uh, in the room, right? Uh, we don't want to ignore this elephant in the room. Uh, and this elephant in the room is the word genealogy. We want to know what genealogy is. So what does Matthew mean by the phrase, the book of the genealogy? The word genealogy comes from the Greek noun genesis. That means beginning or means origin. The definition for genealogy is a line of descent traced continuously from an ancestor. And this is exactly what we see in our passage. Matthew has traced ancestor after ancestor from Abraham to Jesus. And we're talking here about roughly around 2,000 years according to traditional biblical chronologies. So that's a lot of record from Ancestry.com, right? Actually, I was looking about Ancestry.com. I was interested in know about it. I'm not part of it. Um, so I find very interesting that as October 2023, we're talking about a couple weeks ago, Ancestry.com received 46.94 million visits to its website. That's a lot. In the the last two years, the website has more than 3 million subscribers and a collection of more than 30 billion of records. So we can say that people have been fascinated by knowing where they come from and who their ancestors are. As for many today, it is important for them to trace the lineage of their ancestors. For the Jewish people in ancient Israel, Genealogies were very important. You will see a lot of genealogies in the Old Testament. All those one, those one that when you are, you remember when you're starting the year and you're starting this uh, Bible devotional one year, and you remember when you're super excited about Genesis and the Exodus, and then you go to the genealogies and you're like, oh, okay, let's go. You know, uh, even even more. For the ancient Israelites, the, geneal the gene genealogy in tracing the lineage of the Messiah were extremely important. The Jews set great store for family pedigrees. They would not believe in Jesus as Messiah unless they could see his descent from Abraham or David. Look at this account from John chapter 1. Jesus just began his ministry and was calling his first disciples. And suddenly, the next day, this is verse 20, uh, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, hey, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Hey, hey, you know something? Come 
and see. So maybe for us, Asian genealogies are not important. However, for first century believer, this type of evidence was crucial. Look what this commentator says. I don't think it's in the, in the screen, but he, uh, try to follow me. For Jewish people who were considering trusting in Christ as their Messiah, or for those Jews who had already trusted in Christ as the Messiah, and were as a result losing their families, losing their possessions, and their own physical safety, this genealogy of Matthew 1 was extremely significant. They want to know if that is actually the real Jesus. So this is why Matthew's introduction is so important. By beginning his book with Jesus' genealogy, he's inviting his audience the same way Philip invited Nathaniel, saying, come and see. And this is precisely Matthew's intentions. When he is showing us verses 2 to 17, we see an extensive list of Jesus' ancestors ranging from Abraham, the patriarch of all the Hebrews, including David, the most admired and respected king of Israel, and ending with Jesus. So let's move with the identification of the main figure of the different designation and the different designations made in chapter 1 and chapter and verse 1. Also, I want to make a point out. Uh, I want to make uh, Sorry. I want to point out something here. For now, from now on, you will notice that the word promise will be standing out every single time during this sermon. Remember, the word promise. So let's start with identif the identification of the main character. The main character, the name is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus was a very common name in ancient Israel. The Hebrew equivalent of Jesus is Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh saves. And this is something that we will be looking in the next chapters in the next weeks. Um, you may recall that God had called Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. Well, in a similar way, Jesus was the promised Savior who will lead people out of sin into God's kingdom. So the first designation, we already identify the main character. Now we're going to have a, the first designation that we saw in verse 1. The first designation is Christ. And I want to tell you something. Christ is not Jesus' last name. In addition to present the name Jesus, the writer also chose Jesus' title. And this title is Christ. The title Christ was definitely placed intentionally in this passage by the evangelist. Christ is the Greek form of Hebrew word Messiah, or the anointed one. 
This individual is not someone who happens to be named Jesus. Oh, look, Jesus is there. No, it's because it was a pretty name or it was a very significant name. No, no, no. This man, Jesus, is the one who the OT, the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, like Micah, like Jeremiah, like Zechariah, like Malachi, Malachi spoke of. He is the anointed one. He is the promised Messiah. So Matthew says, this is he. This is the one we have waited for. And he was here with us. God has kept his promise. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is here. So Christ is the title that refers to the work, the mission, and the purpose of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's go to the designation number two. The son of David. What Matthew is really saying here is Jesus is a descendant of David. That's what Matthew is saying. David, the greatest of all the kings of Israel. So the fact that Jesus is in the same family tree as David has royal, royal implications for Jesus. In addition to this, Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant or the promise made by God to David. Let's look at the prophecy given to David by the prophet Nathan in Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. So God made a covenant with David. In, this, in the context of this discussion that we're having today. And promised him two primary things. Number one, he promised a continual seed that will endure to the end. So that means that the kingdom of David will have no end. And second, an honor son will reign on the throne of David. So first, a continual seed will endure to the end. This was a promise that God will bless Solomon, David's son. However, we know that this promise extends beyond Solomon because God was not referring to the next generation when he says the throne of his kingdom will be established forever. That make sense? Second, an honor son will reign on the throne. This promise has had an immediate reference to Solomon. However, God again promised the throne will be established forever. A commentator says, as readers of the 21st century, we should be struck by the fact that a promise given in Samuel in uh, 2 Samuel 7 is still active today. This promise is literally shaping eternity. Matthew boldly claims that Jesus was the royal right as the promised Messiah. Thanks to his royal lineage through his connection to King David. 
Let's go to designation number three. It says, the son of Abraham. Again, what Matthew is saying in reality here is Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. It stresses Jesus' identity as the son or descendant of Abraham, the father and patriarch of all the people of Israel, and the recipient of the divine promise that through him all nations of the earth will be blessed. Let's go to Genesis 12, chapter 1, um, 12, verse 1 to verse 3. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will, and I will make of you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonor you or dishonored you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this third designation is calling the covenant promise God made with the father of Israel to bless the nation as his chosen people, but not only that, and to bless all nations through Abraham's line. So here, then, we see the designation shown by Matthew about who Jesus is in verse 1. If anyone, have, if anyone have any doubt of the origin of Jesus, Jesus is Christ, the promised Messiah. They announce the one announced by the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is a legitimate, legitimate, sorry, legit. Legitimate, legitimate descendant to royalty through King David as God promised to David. Jesus is a legit descendant of the Hebrew people through Abraham as God promised to Abraham. Let's focus now on the second part of the structure of the passage. In this part, Matthew shows an extensive list of ancestors in verse 2 to 17. He organized the list in three different categories. The first category is the generations from Abraham to David. The second category is the generations from David to the exile. And the last generation is from the exile to Jesus. Unfortunately, I, I wrote here, we don't have the time. I don't have the time to go one by one of Jesus' ancestors. But I want to mention some of their stories in one phrase. Okay? So, let's get ready. In the genealogy of Jesus, there are very beautiful stories. Look at this. The story of Abraham and the faith he demonstrated. The miracle of Isaac's birth. That was amazing. Job's tenacity. Boss character, integrity, and redemptive spirit. 
The Redemption of Ruth, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. The story of David as a shepherd, as a warrior, as a musician, as a king. The wisdom of Solomon was, you know, how beautiful was that? The angelic announcement to Mary and Joseph. This kind of stories are worthy of being posted on Facebook or Instagram. Stories that show grace, forgiveness, faith, obedience, and godly character. However, in this same genealogy of Jesus, there's other stories that are ugly, sad, embarrassing, and even evil. They are not pretty at all. Abraham's desire to help God on having a baby. You remember that? Jacob's deceptions. Judah's incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Rahab's reputation as a harlot, as a, as a foreign woman. woman. David's, David's adultery and murder of a man. The disobedience and idolatry of the majority of the kings mentioned in this genealogy. The majority of them disobey God. Entire generations living in the exile and held captive by pagan kingdoms. Mary and Joseph's reputation after she got pregnant. That was ugly. These are stories you don't want in your ancestry dot-com family tree. Or the ones you will never publish on your social media, for sure. But all this beautiful and all this embarrassing stories belong to Jesus' pedigree. Matthew's desire is not to only show how imperfect or crooked Jesus' family tree is, or how perverse and bad these men and women were, what Matthew wants to show is God's grace, Amen. God's mercy, and God's faithfulness towards all mankind, despite our sin. He wants to make a distinction between Jesus and his ancestors. Because he is the only one that is perfect in all things. No one in that list is like Jesus. So if you are looking for perfection in humankind, you will not find it. The only perfect, the one that never sinned was Jesus. I would like to conclude with a question. And it's a question that for sure you are making to yourself right now. And the question is, very theological question. What in the world that genealogy have to do with me? What is the importance of the genealogy of Jesus for today's believer? Well, 
The genealogy of Jesus as found in Matthew is significant for several reasons in the Christian faith and the broader context of the Bible. Number one, when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you can see a fulfillment of messianic prophecies. Number two, you can see how legit is and how legal is uh, Jesus' inheritance. Um, for, for the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies, Jesus' genealogy as recorded in this gospel is presented as a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's presented as fulfillment. Um, it's traced Jesus' lineage back to King David, highlighting that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the line of David. This fulfillment of messianic prophecies is crucial, crucial in establishing Jesus' authority and identity as the Messiah. Another reason is because the genealogy of Jesus connect Jesus to humanity. The genealogy of Jesus demonstrates his connection with humankind. While Christianity affirms that Jesus is divine, his human lineage, including ancestors like Abraham and David, emphasize his incarnation Highlighting the belief that Jesus is truly God and truly human. This connection to humanity underscores the Christian teaching that Jesus can relate to and redeem humanity. Another reason for the Jesus genealogy for us is how we can see that Jesus is the inclusion of Gentiles on people that were outcasts. Jesus' genealogy, as presented in Matthew, includes several women, some of whom were Gentiles or had complicated histories. This inclusion highlights God's redemptive work and grace, emphasizing that Jesus came not only for the righteous, but also for the sinners, the marginalized, and even the people that are not Jews. It underscores the message that salvation is for everyone, not only the Jewish people. And the last one is the historical and the cultural context. Understanding Jesus' genealogy provides insight into the historical and cultural um, context at the time. It shows how Jewish genealogical records were maintained and emphasized the importance of lineage in the Jewish culture of the time. At the beginning of my study of, for this sermon, I did not expect to come with this conclusion. Do you remember me telling you that during this sermon, there is a word that will, will stand out throughout the entire message? And that word was the word promise. And really, this is the way I'm going to finalize this sermon. I would like to give two different messages today. One message is for the church. The other message is for those that have not placed their trust in Jesus. So to the church, I want to tell you this. God has been faithful. 
through all times. He promised a redeemer, and at the right time, at God's time, he fulfilled his promise. Jesus came to this earth and fulfilled his mission of rescuing all humanity from sin. He promised to deliver us from the bondage of sin that has had us condemned to an eternity without God. Jesus established his kingdom and made us part of his kingdom. That means that every single promise that God has, has made to us, he keep his promise. He has kept his promise. So church, my message for you, lest let's not faint. Even though we see tribulation around us, even though we are living difficult circumstances, even if we hear bad news, when our Christ-based character becomes less popular every day, even if those around you reject you or mock you, as he has kept his promise over time, church, he has promised to be with us day, every single day until the end of the time. He will give his promise. He has promised that he, will, he has overcome the world. Church, he will give his promise. That he, promised, he has promised that he will return again. Church, he will give his promise. He has promised that our salvation will be completed and that we will be glorified in him. Church, he will keep his promise. He has promised that he will establish his kingdom completely and he will be king for the eternity. He will keep his promise. Let us live without a, with a living hope. That Jesus is the king. He is the promised Messiah. The one who came once and the one who will also return again. Amen. And church, I want to leave you with this. Colossians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 6 to 10. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or an empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of a rule and authority. The other message is for those that have not placed their faith in Christ. We all were dead in our sins, doomed to an eternity separated from God and in eternal suffering. The message of hope that Christmas brings 
is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so what so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him unfortunately the christmas message that most of us are hearing is totally dis, um, distorted. There's only one Christmas message. Christ came to rescue us from sin. He came close to us. He put off his nature and became one like us. He lived life perfectly and died in the vilest way, the way we should have died. Jesus is resurrected. He is alive and give you the opportunity that you have today to hear and receive the beautiful message of Christmas. Christmas season makes real sense when you know the true meaning of the season. And the true meaning of the season is Christ. It is because of his mercy and his grace he has made a promise if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So don't wait anymore and place your trust and faith in Jesus.